Hi, I'm Brandon Webb, former Navy SEAL and New York Times bestselling author. If you're like me, you want real security and defense news you can trust. You're probably tired of hearing the same talking heads, guys who have never seen the front lines, saying the same BS a hundred different ways. It's why I founded SoftRep.com, military-grade news produced entirely by our staff of military veteran journalists. Sign up at SoftRep for real news, real experience, real experts. SoftRep does what the mainstream media can't, deliver authentic content straight from the front lines. Sign up for a free trial membership today, and I'll give you my best-selling ebook, The Red Circle, for free. But that's not all. Your SoftRep membership also includes access to cutting-edge defense and security news by military experts, access to our award-winning documentaries, ebooks, special member events, and much more. So what are you waiting for? Let us know you're in. Sign up for your free trial membership today. Join our community at SoftRep.com. That's S-O-F-R-E-P.com. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. episode, we sit down with headshot Don Bradley. Don is a former Special Forces operator and CIA paramilitary contractor with over 25 combat deployments. His life, however, was forever changed when he was shot in the head during a road rage incident back in 2018 in Georgia. Having barely escaped with his life, Don is now fighting to clear his name. Can you please go over your military career? and then your service with the, with the CIA? Yeah, absolutely. I started way back in the, the 80s in the Air Force, where I was offered the opportunity in basic training to go into the survival instructor career field. So I, I thought that sounded pretty interesting, and I went to their, their meetings, and they had like many tryouts and uh, ended up deciding I wanted to do that. Went to the six-month instructor training course, which I graduated, and then went into another six months of OJT. During the time that I was going through the training in OJT, however, even though I was in the Air Force, we worked with Navy SEALs, and we also worked with Army Special Forces. And I very quickly caught on to the thought and belief that that was far more interesting and exciting than what I was doing in the Air Force. So at the end of my career in the Air Force, I literally got out, joined the Army with the intention and eventually got into Special Forces. 
in special forces. I was at Fort Bragg, the third special forces group as it was being stood back up. I was a junior engineer. I held the positions of junior engineer, senior engineer, and then operations and intelligence. The career path for that's a little different these days, but that's how it was then. And that was right before the first Gulf War, correct? The reactivation of third special forces. Yeah, I was actually in the Q course while the Gulf War happened. <laughs> I can imagine the the frustration. <laughs> they kept talking the whole time about how they were going to an abbreviated course so that we could get out there and be, you know, get into the fight. And of course, the fight was over so damn quick. <laughs> we were still in the Q course when it was over with. <laughs> yeah. And then how many years do, did you remain with the third? Special Forces Group? So I was with them from 1990 until 1998 when I got out. They actually, because of the drawdowns in the military and budget, I was detailed to become a recruiter and sent to Atlanta, which is where we got out. That was in 1995, we were sent to Atlanta. And then the end of that tour in 1998, we chose to get out of the military, my wife and I, and uh, let our kids go all the way through school in the same school district, which they did. They even went to college in Atlanta, grad school in Atlanta. So we uh, we made Atlanta our home for 25 years. And then the towers go down. Yes. So the towers went down September 11th. I was a civilian working a civilian job, had just become uh, uh, gotten promoted into management. And of course, that happened. Everything kind of changed. Due to the place I was working, I had interaction with a lot of people from a lot of walks of life. And one of the people I'd gotten to know worked for Glock because Glock's in Atlanta. He came into the business that I worked at regularly and he came up to me one day around 2003, I think it was, and handed me a business card that literally had a name and a phone number on it and just started telling me, Don, trust me, you want to contact these people. And his name was Jim. I was like, Jim, what, what is it? What's it about? He said, I can't tell you. It's all classified. Just contact these people. You won't be disappointed. So curiosity got the better of me. And I did. And sure enough, it was for what was then called the select program. They were looking for former special operations people so that they could go do something that they wouldn't tell us about at the time. And uh, I decided to roll the dice and went ahead and went to their tryouts, got selected and was told once I was there that we were essentially going to be bodyguards, if you will, for case officers primarily who were working with live assets in the field. And I thought that sounded thrilling and a great next step to my crazy career. And uh, I went for it. And today that's the GRS. Correct. Yes, yes, that is. It did, in fact, turn out to be GRS. So my my brothers in arms were the guys in Benghazi, the guys in Coast and other places that haven't made it into the news. How many tours, if I may? We call them trips because we didn't we were no longer in the military. So we we didn't want to use the military terminology for whatever reason. And everybody referred to them as trips, probably because a deployment was at that time six months to nine months long. In our trips, if you will, we're only about two, three months at a whack. They wouldn't let you stay there more than three and a half months before they required you to go back home, take a break, and then you could go back again. So I did that 21 times. 21 times. Damn. Yep. <laughs> That's a lot. 
it was looking back on it. It was at the time it felt just like another day in the dust bowl. And when did you get out uh, of the agency? So I stopped deploying altogether in 2013. I literally turned 50 and swore to myself and my wife that I was not going to do this forever. And uh, 50 seemed like a pretty realistic benchmark to say it's time to hang up the guns and try to do something in the uh, the normal world, if you will. And then uh, you began. A, uh, you started a business in Georgia, correct? I did, actually. I started a painting business. I started a company where we repainted existing houses and did that for a couple of years when I was contacted by Sean, who now we worked together back then, and he now owns Vigilance Elite, which I think is where you saw the original podcast. He was telling me that he had a guy that he was training who was an investment banker and ran a hedge fund who was very interested in starting a business with sear coating. And he asked me if I knew what it was. I said, no, I actually know nothing about it, but I'll be happy to look into it for you. And he said that the reason he was asking me was because he was looking for an artistic application of it. And while I was working overseas on my breaks, I built a paint shop in my backyard, uh, a whole building with a paint booth and all the equipment. And I had learned through training, trial and error, and just practice how to do a lot of airbrushing and stuff. So I had a little experience in that and he thought I'd be a good fit. So one thing led to another and I ended up shutting down the, the painting business and opening up Circo Nation. And that was your business until the incident, correct? It was, yes. I had obviously a couple of partners in that business, but I was the operator and operations manager and part owner of it as well. So what happened on that on that day? Well, as you know, I can't get into a lot of the specifics because they have to wait to be revealed at the actual trial. But I will say that I was literally two days after Christmas just driving home from work was not stressed out, was not uh, aggravated in any way. I literally just came across some people who were driving kind of slowly. Um, and since it took me an hour to get each way, I made the mistake of passing a man who, for whatever reason, felt like he should be in control of the cars on the road that day. And it seemed to apparently make him extraordinarily angry that I had escaped his attempts to control the other cars. Unbeknownst to me at the time, uh, the guy had a, a pretty significant anger control issue, which turned into a pretty major confrontation, which ended with me being shot in the head. So in the head. Whoa. So you, he shoots you in the head. And what happens next? So obviously I was unconscious and bleeding from the head, but I can tell you that the first officer on the scene recorded that I was unconscious and unresponsive and bleeding from the head. And they called in an investigator. Apparently a lot of this stuff I got from hearing it from the investigator as well as from the uh, discovery is the term that they use. So we've had discovery in the case, and in there, the investigator claims that I was awake and alert and gave him statements. 
at the scene, which doesn't really fit with what was really happening at the scene. But it also set the stage for what came afterwards, because apparently he claimed he pulled my background and got the background of a career felon. And I'm quoting him here because he told this to my wife, my son and my wife's boss, who's an attorney. He said that I have a rap sheet as long as his arm full of felonies, including drug convictions, and that I had no legal right to be in possession of a firearm. So he basically was setting the stage for blaming me for what a very aggressive driver on the road had done. And he made that statement on car plates, your driver's license, and your, in your wallet, correct? That is correct. Um, I do remember hearing someone ask me where my wallet was when I was pretty out of it after being shot, to which I did respond. It was in the center console of the truck. Uh, I was driving a pickup truck. So obviously they got that. They had the driver's license. They had the license plate as well as the VIN of the pickup truck, which was registered in my name. So there's no logical path that would have led him to believing that I was a career felon, which, by the way, just in case your viewers don't know this, I had a top secret security clearance. You don't get a top secret security clearance if you got a list of felonies. Even one will disqualify you from being even considered for that level of, of trust. They take you to the hospital, but your wife doesn't know anything, correct? Correct. This all happened somewhere approximately 4.30 in the afternoon on a Thursday afternoon, and it was about to start raining when it happened. So, you know, time's going by, and I normally would beat her home just by a couple of minutes, and I didn't. And, you know, obviously she conveyed all this to me after the fact, but she said that her and my son, my son, by the way, is a grown man. He was living with us while his house was under construction. So, you know, he's not a little kid. When I say that, I want people to have a clear understanding. This was a grown man who heard this and talked to this police officer. He actually went to the police station uh, days later to collect my cell phone from them and to pick up my pickup truck once they released it from their impound. But yeah, they, she and my son were searching around trying to find out where I was and I wasn't answering my phone. So eventually around sometime after midnight, they remembered, you know, it dawned on them that they could use the find my iPhone app. So they went into that app, figured out what my password was because I'm, you know, I'm not a real sneaky person from my own family. I've been married for 35 years. They figured out the password, found the phone, and then called a fire department where it was parked behind, who told them that that was the lockup for Monroe County Sheriff's Department. So that's when they started contacting them and started finding out what was going on. So, and you're essentially fighting for your life in the hospital at this time. Yes, I was, I, I'm still looking to get some information from the hospital as to things like how many pints of blood they had to put in me to keep me alive. But yeah, I was I had a bullet in my skull that had shattered upon impact with my skull and broke a large hole in my skull. The pieces, some were stuck in my skull. Others were many, many more inside of my skull to this day. These tiny little sharp shards, if you will, of bullet fragment, which are laying all over the artery inconveniently that feeds the whole right hemisphere of my brain. Whoa. 
And your wife, at, at that point, I assume she contacts the Morocco County Sheriff's Department. How do they treat her? So that's that's one of the many interesting things about this whole case is when she contacted them, they told her, first of all, that she would need to talk to a lieutenant or a detective, and she was given the names to both of them. But the deputy that answered the phone, I believe, was a jailer. She said that he was polite, but, you know, he was also like, well, you know, because she's like, why hasn't somebody called me when she finally found out I was in the hospital? And he said, well, it was shift change and these things happen. So, you know, they're just complacency and lethargic attitude towards the public became evident at that point and became more evident as we went on. Because when she called the next morning and actually got the detective on the phone, Alan Henderson is the name of the detective. He told her that I was in the hospital and that if she went there or my son went there or anybody went there to see how I was doing or to be with me, to comfort me, they would arrest them on the spot. Did he give a reason for that? Nope. nope. Is that nope. even legal? Brother, I'm not an attorney, so I don't know if that's legal, but I can tell you that from some of the uh, responses we've gotten and contacts we've had with people who are attorneys and from law enforcement, they all say, yeah, that's completely out of bounds. So I don't know. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's very logical, considering the fact that this was literally the next morning after it happened in that very evening within Hours, if not moments, of the actual incident, the sheriff, who had just been sworn in because they had a runoff election there, went straight to the news cameras. So he's been sheriff for one week to the day. He went straight to the news cameras and gave a press interview talking about everything that I, by name, had done wrong. And then went on to say that Mr. Hinman, the guy who shot me, was merely protecting his family, which you know, in anybody's mind would exonerate this man. But the yeah. fact is, they didn't have real, f they didn't have facts from the case. They hadn't done a complete investigation. They'd barely even done a partial investigation. The only person they talked to was the guy that shot me, who if he told the truth, yeah, I was road raging, which the investigator told me later, he did admit to that. And then talked about what actually went down on the scene. He would have been arrested for attempted murder. Or if I died, he would have been arrested for manslaughter or murder. They took his word for everything. And the sheriff made the statement, still believing that you were a career felon? Correct. Or knowing, oh, okay. That is correct. He had my correct name, but a completely fictitious background of who I was. You know, and he, he obviously got his information from the investigator, Henderson, who told him I was a career felon with a rap sheet as long as your arm, all these felony charges, drug convictions, blah, blah, fucking blah, you know, because <laughs> it was all wrong. Every bit of it was wrong, including his conclusion of what had happened at the scene, which fortunately for us, we've got eyewitnesses because I was thinking up to the moment I was shot in the head. And I did make sure that some things happened before we ever actually met me and the guy who shot me so that there would be other people around to try to calm him down and limit any sort of uh, extreme response. Just didn't work out that way. 
I'm Brandon Webb, former Navy SEAL and founder of The Crate Club. Tired of the same old gift ideas? Want military-grade survival gear delivered to your doorstep? Then get Crate Club, the box built by Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, and Special Ops guys. With backpacks, holsters, and more military-grade gear, it's the perfect gift for the guy in your life. Subscribe to Crate Club and we'll also include The Killing School, my best-selling ebook about America's elite snipers. That's CrateClub.com, C-R-A-T-E Club.com. How long did it take for for the sheriff and the police department to realize that that you weren't a career felon after all? And how they did did they treat you afterwards? Honestly, Stavros, that's a great question because they won't talk about how they got the wrong background. They won't talk about when they realized they had the wrong background. And once they did, in fact, realize they had the wrong background, nothing changed. They just continued moving forward because now they're, as they say in poker, they're pot committed because he'd gone on TV to tell everybody I was a bad guy and that the bad guy was a good guy. They will have to uh, eventually in, in the trial. Oh yeah, We're, trust me. I've I've got a great team. You know, we've got we unfortunately had to liquidate pretty much everything of any value that we own so that we could afford to hire our own investigator who did a, a much more thorough investigation and came up with everything that we needed to prove that they literally had their results 180 degrees off. I've got an outstanding legal team who makes their living taking these people apart because they're obviously not proficient at doing basic law enforcement activities. And we feel extraordinarily confident about our case going to trial. And I understand that the Monroe County Police uh, Service Department has a history of, let's say, ineptitude. Boy, do they ever. It's, it, I can't understand how they're not embarrassed by this stuff, honestly, because a, a year almost to the day before I was shot on New Year's Eve that previous year, they had pulled a woman and a man over in Forsyth, Georgia, which is where the heart of Monroe County is and where their sheriff's department's located. They pulled a woman and a man over for allegedly having too dark of tint in their car. So they pull them over and go figure the tent's really not too dark. It was quite possibly just a reason to get them pulled over. So then since they're there, they start searching their car. I, I don't know all the specifics. I'm guessing that they had permission. I don't know, though. They found nothing. So they pull a bag of partially eaten cotton candy out of the car, which they say, this looks like methamphetamine. And they test it with their little on-the-go test kit, which turns out to be very flawed, gives a positive result for methamphetamine, and they lock the woman only up. And again, I don't know the specifics of why just her, but she spent the next three months in jail until the Georgia Bureau of Investigations did a backup test and called them and said, yeah, guys, this is cotton candy. Um, Three months. And once... Once they found out that it was cotton candy, they still held her for three more days in jail before they let her go. I'm pretty sure they they didn't even apologize. No. In fact, she has an attorney and she's suing that county, um, which, of course, due to uh, an issue 
called uh, uh, implied immunity, which is apparently interpreted differently per state. And in the state of Georgia, it has the shortest possible statute of limitations, which is one year. And I learned that because at the one year mark, that's when they finally decided to move forward with my case. Because in order to, again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm only going by what I've been told by attorneys, but apparently you need the discovery from a case in order to move forward with suing them, or you have to do your own investigation, find all the information. Anyways, there's there's a lot of stuff that I don't know enough about to speak intelligently to give all the answers to, but they they tried to throw her case out on implied immunity, and they waited exactly a year before they even put my case forward to a grand jury for indictment. Did you have any other altercations with them previously? I had never had, I'd never been pulled over by them. I honestly had not even heard of the cotton candy lady. Four months before I was shot, one of their deputies was fired and arrested because one of the people that he had personally arrested. He called them back a couple days later. It was a woman and he offered to help her out with her case. So he picks her up in his personally owned vehicle or POV, as we called it in the military, drives her out into the woods where she's savvy enough to take her smartphone and turn it on record and recorded everything he said because he basically told her he would help her with her case if she would give him a blowjob. High standards. (laughs) Yeah, high standards, quality people. And then we had, after my case, probably about, I think it was seven or eight months after my case, another one of their deputies was fired because he was arrested in a neighboring county on a drug sting buying drugs. They don't like giving out a lot of information about that stuff. And quite frankly, the guy hasn't gone to court yet. So in all fairness, we don't know what happened. But yeah, another one of their deputies who, according to the Monroe County Sheriff's Department Facebook page, was wearing insignia identifying him as a Monroe County Sheriff, was arrested buying drugs in a drug sting. Damn. And where's the case right now? Uh, You're going on trial early June, correct? Yes, we have a court date starting the 22nd of June. However, I've been informed that that's a tentative date because things can change. People can get sick from Corona, for example. Um, Anything can happen and it could possibly be delayed or postponed. I know that I've got two years for the statute of limitations in order to get civil compensation for being shot by this guy and some other things as well. So we're not going to let it go much past that if we have any control over it. If they try to go beyond, you know, into even close to the two-year mark, we will be filing that stuff regardless. Oh, okay. Has any fed, uh, state or federal official contact, contacted you regarding the case? No. And that's actually an interesting question because, as you would imagine, because of my background, who I used to work for, I got a lot of connections. I mean, literally all over the country. And quite frankly, I know people in other countries as well. So I activated my network and had a buddy connect me with somebody fairly high up at the Georgia Bureau of Investigations so that I could talk one-on-one offline, off the record, and let them know, hey, this is what's going on. Here's a real serious heads up 
if you guys want me to come in and do a formal, I can do that. But this is what's happening. You guys should probably pay attention because this is going to blow up in the media at some point. Well, everything was going good. It was all set up. We were supposed to have this one-on-one phone call. And the day of, we had a, a day and time for the phone call. The day of, I just had to pass my name and phone number, which I did. And as soon as he got it, he went ghost. Any idea why? I don't know if that's because he was aware of the case. I don't know if it's because he didn't want to get involved because of what he had heard about me, because believe me, they put out some significant disinformation through that media. In fact, I've even got, well, text messages from people who are deputies at the Monroe County Sheriff's Department quoting what the shooter said in his statement as though it's factual. So they, uh, they hook, line, and sinker swallowed his story, and in an effort to save face, they're all pushing it from within. The most important question right now, how can people help you and your family? You know, brother, the big thing now for me is healing. Uh, Honestly, you caught me on a good day. I'm pretty mentally on it right now today. But there are other days where I think fine, but I can't, for whatever reason, get the words to form and come out of my mouth. So there's not much people can do with that. I've gotten a ton of information about traumatic brain injuries from other people that have them, other veterans, civilians. The National Traumatic Brain Injury Association has been just fantastic about feeding me information about things that they're finding that they're having success with. We did start a GoFundMe page, uh, I think, as you're aware of, because we, we literally, no shit, I sold, you know, I'd, I'd made fairly decent money as a contractor and didn't spend it because I was working so much. So I had a, a 1967 Chevelle and we sold my wife's paid for pickup truck. I sold my motorcycle. We sold our house. You know, anything tangible that we had that we could sell, we sold so that we could get the money together because we're over six figures into what it's cost in order to do a real investigation to get the actual facts and hire a competent legal team that's going to just tear these people apart in court. So, you know, people have been very, very generous in stepping up and contributing to that We're up to almost a thousand people have donated on that. So it's just so humbling, man. That's that's just amazing. So if you are listening and you want to support Don and his family, please go to their GoFundMe link in the podcast description and show them your support. Thank you for that very much. In all sincerity, thank you for that. Besides that, you know, we've had some people who are attorneys, like I mentioned, uh, people who are in federal law enforcement, people who are in state law enforcement, people who are in local law enforcement. As a matter of fact, to be very candid, we've had an outpouring of support from people who are in law enforcement who are quite frankly embarrassed by what they're seeing out of Monroe County Sheriff's Department, who just want people to know, hey, look, we're not all that way. You know, honestly, Stavros, think about that. Right now, there's a lot of anti-cop sentiment in the country. So something like what they did to me doesn't really look good. And it's hard to get people to back them when they're doing crazy shit like this to people 
who have served their country honorably, who have integrity, who uphold the standards of law in our country, you know, who went on and just was starting a business, trying to move on with life, which is all of the veterans' dreams that I know. Yeah, the ideal transition. Precisely. So mine was stopped. (laughs) (laughs) And here I am, you know, just waiting to go on trial and uh, clear my name regain 100% of my freedom, put this shit behind us, and then start moving forward on prosecuting a man who quite possibly has a mental illness that's going unaddressed, who's out there in public with a gun. Do you have any idea how long the trial is going to take? We can only speculate, however, based on the 40 years of experience my, my lead attorney has, Uh, She seems to think it'll be anywhere between three and five days. She said there's a possibility to go into the second week, but she's so confident in our case. She feels that it'll be over in three to five days. And hopefully we will be here to to post the good news. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully Corona doesn't (laughs) limit us so severely that we're able to uh, even if we have social distancing, we can still get together. And I'd, I'd love to talk to you after it's over with, because there's so many things that we won't talk about right now that will just blow your mind. You're, if you think what you've heard so far about the cotton candy lady, the blowjob cop, the arrested buying drugs, wearing uniform. Oh, and by the way, the day before my arraignment, the afternoon before they had arrested a guy, brought him into the jail. And while they're process, processing him into jail, there was some sort of altercation in which he ended up dying. Uh, And again, they don't like talking about that too much either. So there's a lot of shit, quite frankly, that's been going on with this department in particular that needs to be brought to light. So for sure, for sure. Can't wait to talk about more. (laughs) Can't wait to hear. (laughs) Is there anything else uh, you would like to add? Man, I just ask for the continued support of people from everywhere, your viewers, uh, people like you that have uh, a platform where they can help spread the word because the only thing that's gonna stop a dirty sheriff's department like these guys is exposure. The more exposure that I can get and more light I can bring into this place, the less likely it is that they'll be able to get away with doing this to somebody else because think about this. If I wasn't a former Green Beret who had worked for the agency, had a top secret security clearance, and all this shit went down where I was the person being assaulted and ended up taking the hit, there'd be nothing to prove that they're full of shit. Yeah. That's heavy. Again, if you are listening, please go and show your support to Donnie's family in their GoFundMe page and spread the word. I mean, that's equally important. Don, thanks thanks for joining us for the podcast and hope for the best. Sir, thank you so, so very much for having me on because again, the, the, getting the word out is the most positive thing we can do at this point and, you know, just bring light into a very dark corner of Georgia. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.